You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He remained a dishonest politician, resisting the Holy Spirit for years. He reminds me of another ruler who had the greatest witness in the flesh that anyone could ever have, the Word of God, become flesh, Jesus Christ, who stood before Governor Pilate. John's Gospel tells us, chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? In other words, what's what's in your gut? As a Christian, there was a moment in time that you heard the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, and you made the decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The sad truth is many times people have come to the point of praying a prayer to receive Jesus, but their life remains unchanged. Today, Pastor Danny will be explaining to you how the moment of salvation is just the beginning. The Holy Spirit wants to continue a work within you, purpose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and don't quench him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 24 with part two of today's edition of The Living Word. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I'll decide your case. Lysias, the commander that, gave, that arrested Paul. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom, permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish. Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Pause. It's a strong Greek word. As a matter of fact, one translation says Felix trembled. It's the same word used for the response from the women who came to the empty tomb of Jesus and they're confronted by two angels and they were frightened. It's the same word used for when Jesus in his resurrected state, walked through the walls and greeted his disciples and he scared the living daylights out of them. Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I can't find it convenient, I'll send for you. Now, unfortunately, you can't do that with me today. You can shut your ears, but not my mouth. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Remember that statement. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. A politician to the end. There are two sides to the message. 
One is the challenge of being willing for God to orchestrate the events of our lives to put us in places where we can be a witness for Jesus Christ. And sometimes they're uncomfortable and sometimes there's real suffering involved. And the other challenge with that, with that is when we are before someone and there is an open door, will we say what God wants us to say? No matter what the cost. Now the flip side of the message is very clear. And that is the response of those that we have the privilege of witnessing for Jesus Christ before. Their response. That's the message. What we don't have is an audio tape of Paul's message. What we don't have are detailed notes. All we know is he spoke about faith in Christ and that coupled with talking about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And even though we don't have an audio, and even though I don't have detailed notes, from the scriptures and from Paul's writings, I can make some pretty good suggestions as to some of the things that Paul said. I wonder if he didn't quote the Ten Commandments. If he did not quote them, I think it's likely he pulled from them. Because he writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, from the law, and the heart of the law is the Ten Commandments, we are conscious of sin. And the law is intended to lead us to Christ because we're convicted of our sin and we know the only way now to be forgiven and saved is to receive Christ. And so the conviction has to come first. Thou shalt not steal. We know from history, Felix did. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And we know from history, Felix did. Thou shalt not murder. And we know from historical record, Felix did. And he got away with it because his brother had an end with Nero and went to his defense. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And we know Felix did. Or his house or his donkey or his Ferrari or whatever else it is. It's interesting our government most of the leaders anyway right now, they don't want the Ten Commandments displayed publicly. Don't get me off on that one. John the Baptist stood before another powerful Roman king, Herod, and he said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. You're breaking God's law. And it was intended to bring conviction to Herod so that he might repent and be saved, and be forgiven of his sin. And then he talked about self-control. Fascinating few verses in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, and right in the heart of it, it says this. For the grace of God has appeared to all men. And it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live upright lives before God. That's an interesting verse. If it's appeared to all men, that means before the New Testament, it means before the Old Testament, it's appeared to all men. That's what it says. And the best I can gather, I go to places like the story of Joseph, sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. He's owned by a guy named Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, uh, because Joseph is a good-looking dude. He's trying to seduce him repeatedly. And Joseph is repeatedly resisting. He's a long way from home. Look how he's been treated. He's 17 years old. And a dude like that is resisting? Wow. A lot of guys, would they want that situation. And he resisted. He said, how could I do this thing and sin against God? 
You see, the self-controlled life is not a perfect life, but self-control is an evidence that I have a relationship with God and I want to do what's right. And I want to resist doing what's wrong. That's why Paul said, before Felix, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And Felix's conscience is not clear. And then he talked about the judgment to come. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put within every human being a knowledge, a knowledge, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has set eternity in the heart of man. Every human being knows that when we die, it's not the end. In reality, it's really just the beginning. Because we're going to live on forever and ever and ever somewhere. And whether you believe it or not or accept it or not, the Bible gives two choices. One is in an eternal glory with Jesus Christ because you've received him as Lord and Savior. And the other is eternal damnation, separated from God, and an eternal torment forever and ever and ever. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God gave John, the apostle on the island of Patmos, a revelation of this coming judgment. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Here's what he writes. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. That's interesting. God's keeping records. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Another scripture calls it the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And only those who put their faith in him have the record of all our sin blotted out. What an amazing thing, isn't it? That when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, at that moment, every sin that God's keeping a record of blotted out. And Colossians, Paul writes, it's not just our past sins. He forgave us all our sins. We learned it in Christian college. I never forgot. I never forgot. I remember the first time I heard it. Never heard it. Justified. You've justified. And the the professor said, just as if you'd never sinned. I never forgot that. That's good stuff. Just as if you'd never sinned. That's the only way to get to heaven. Because sin can't go into heaven. And so you get, you get your record, record cleansed, though your, your sins are like scarlet. They'll be white as snow. But you have to respond correctly to the truth. I'm just going to read you this section of my notes. It takes courage to speak truth. It takes courage. But truth is the only thing that will really help anyone. And then I put this. God is not seeker-sensitive. He is truth sensitive. Show me an example in the Bible where God sent sent a witness. Old Testament, New Testament, wherever. And they didn't just speak the truth. He didn't say, no, take it easy. You know, you might offend them. We're not to do it arrogantly. We're not to do it self-righteously. 
But we are to do it boldly and clearly. Otherwise, otherwise how, how are they going to repent? But sometimes when you speak the truth, boy, the looks you get, the comments you get. Hosea writes, the days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility is so great, the prophet is considered a fool. The inspired person, a maniac. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that. I, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I can, I, can, I can a little bit relate to that. Some of you know the story. A few years ago, I was shopping. I was by myself. I like to shop by myself because I like it to be short, quick, and just get it done. I'm in International Mall. It's a Monday, my day off. There are certain times of the year you can go there and you get shirts like this that normally are very expensive. You can get them for dirt cheap. Lady, young lady sales agent was helping me. It was not busy, so she had plenty of time to help me. You know, I'm asking, because my wife's not there, do you, do you th- what do you think about this one, you know? And she said, nah, not that one. Well, what do you think about this one? And we got in a conversation, and in the conversation, I wasn't looking to share Christ with her. I wasn't looking to share anything with her. I was just looking to buy some shirts. And all of a sudden, got in a conversation. She's talking about her boyfriend and how uh, they're, they're living together. And I, you know, said, Lord, I'm not looking for an opportunity, but it seemed like an opportunity. And I, without giving you the details, I said, I said, you know, I'm a pastor. And I said, I just want to encourage you. Why, why would you continue to live with your boyfriend in sin? Why wouldn't you at least consider getting married? She looked at me like I was from another planet. She said, sin, huh? Sin, huh? She said it twice. She looked at me and she said, sin, huh? I mean, she looked derogatory, like I was, some, like I was a maniac or a fool. Sin, huh? I was talking to a relative of mine. She had gone through divorce. And now I find out she's living with a guy. And I said, look, you, you need to put God first. God wants to bless you, but he can't bless you unless you put God first. You need to get this thing right. You're living in sin. You know what she said? She said the exact same thing the sales lady said. Sin, huh? She knows the truth. First Kings 22, King Jehoshaphat and King Ahab, both kings of the people of Israel, one the northern kingdom, one the southern kingdom, Ahab asked Jehoshaphat if he'll ally with him to go and retake some land that the enemy has possessed. Jehoshaphat agrees, but Jehoshaphat says, wouldn't it be good if we inquire of the Lord before we go into battle? So Ahab calls his prophets together. He's got a bunch of them. They all agree. They say the same thing. One guy actually makes some horns, and he's going around with the horns. So shall you gore the enemy and get victory. And Jehoshaphat, he, he knows these are Ahab's prophets. They're going to just say what Ahab wants to hear. So Jehoshaphat says, is there not a prophet of the Lord still left? He says, yeah, there's one guy, Micaiah, son of Imlah, but I don't listen to him. I don't ask to see what he thinks because he never says anything good about me. Jehoshaphat says, well, we still, we still need to send for him. We need to hear what he has to say. So Micaiah is summoned and he stands before them. And uh, the other prophet, the, the lead prophet says, look, all the prophets are saying this. You say the same thing. Micaiah says, I can only say what the Lord gives me. But when Ahab asked him, Micaiah, sarcastically, and we know it's sarcastic because everybody picks up on it, especially Ahab, says, go and be victorious. And Ahab rebukes him and says, did I tell you to tell me what the the Lord said to you? He says, okay, you want to hear it? The Lord said he's going to allow a lying prophet, a lying spirit to be in the mouths of your prophets, and you'll be deceived. And it's going to lead you to your destruction. And he ignores it. 
And he convinces Jehoshaphat before they go into battle, Jehoshaphat to dress up in his royal robes, but Ahab disguises himself. And they go into battle, and here's what it says. An enemy archer, not even aiming at a particular Jewish enemy, he just picks up the thing and he shoots it into the air. At random, it says. And it goes and goes right in between a small section of Ahab's armor. And he dies. All because he would not listen and repent. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions and to the prophets. Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It'll break in pieces like pottery shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces, not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel. In repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Let me read you one more section of my notes, which is first for me. My job is not to change people's hearts. I cannot do that as much as I sometimes wish I could. My job is not to save anyone. I cannot do that. My job is to be a witness for Christ, to stand for and proclaim truth in hope that people might repent, find forgiveness, and be saved. And I hope you understand it goes the same for you if you're a Christian. Here he is, Antonius Felix. The historian Tacitus said Felix was cruel, brutal, dictator. His cruelty did him no favors with those that he ruled. Under Felix's rule, there was a breakdown of law and order, armed hostility between rival factions of Jews. He even used a dispute between the Jews and Syrians of Caesarea as a pretext to murder and plunder them. It was for this reason that he was called back to Rome and replaced by Porcius Festus. Festus is next week. History also, as well as our text, tells us that Felix loved bribes, which tells us he loved money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Colossians 3, 5, greed is idolatry, and of course the 10th commandment against covetousness. We also know from historical record that Governor Felix was licentious. It means he was an immoral man. In regard to women. In our text, he has his wife, Drusilla, but that's Drusilla, his second wife. Guess what his first wife's name was? Drusilla. His first wife was Drusilla, daughter of Cleopatra II, daughter of Mark Anthony and the first Cleopatra. His second wife is Drusilla of Judea, daughter of Herod Agrippa I. She divorced her husband in order to marry Felix and violated God's law. Both of them. Two years after the events of our text, 
The second Drusilla was on a shopping spree in Europe. Mount Vesuvius erupted, and she died tragically, caught up in the lava. She was 21 years old. Some say Felix died with her. I don't know if that's true. Other writers say that he married a third time, but we know nothing about his third wife. But we do know he was a very immoral man with women. And of course, he was a politician and a very dishonest one. And despite the deep conviction and the fear he experienced in response to Paul's words and God's witness through Paul, he remained a dishonest politician, resisting the Holy Spirit for years. He reminds me of another ruler who had the greatest witness in the flesh that anyone could ever have, the word of God become flesh, Jesus Christ, who stood before Governor Pilate. John's gospel tells us, chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? In other words, what's in your gut? Am I a Jew, Pilate answered, but your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, Pilate said. You're right in saying I'm a king. That's the reason I came into the world. To testify to the truth. Everybody on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate says, what is truth? And he goes back out to the crowd, but in his disappointment, because he's saying, I find no basis for a charge against him. And Pilate wants to release Jesus. But the crowd keeps shouting, crucify him, even to the point of saying, you are no friend of Caesar if you defend this man. Well, that's a political threat. And he's a politician. So chapter 19 of John's gospel, Pilate has Jesus flogged and now brings him back out to the crowd one more time and now he's bloodied and beaten and he thinks that'll satisfy the crowd, but it doesn't satisfy the crowd. Verse seven, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law and according to that that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He was even more afraid just like Felix. But to get the whole picture, you have to compare the gospel accounts, especially the gospel according to Matthew. Because Matthew tells us that when Pilate realized he's not going to satisfy the crowd and they are bent on him being crucified, he has his servants bring a basin of water. And he stands before the crowd and he washes his hands And he says to the crowd, I am innocent of this man's blood. Don't you wish that was the way out? What's he saying there? I find no basis for a charge against him. I'm not against Jesus. But I'm not for him either. You know what Jesus said? Whoever is not with me is against me. That's what Jesus said. You can't say, well, I, I got nothing against you being a radical Jesusite, you know, but I got nothing against him. I believe in him. Yeah, but have you repented? Has he become your Lord and Savior? Are you saved? The 
The book of Acts details the birth of the church as we know it today. Before Jesus came, the only way to worship God was in a temple, with sacrifices at the ready and only speaking to him through another person. Jesus changed that. Now everyone has direct access to the King of Kings. We can speak to him through our prayers and even hear directly back from him in our own spirit. This is thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is received as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit flowing through you and giving you the guidance and hope you desire. We'd love to tell you more about this. Send us a quick email at info at ccfstpete.church and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We would love to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching that Pastor Danny Hodges has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Pastor Danny will lead us deeper into the book of Acts when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word.